Hello, I'm Dr. Scott Wadier. And I'm Tommy Welling, and you're listening to the Fasting for Life podcast. This podcast is about using fasting as a tool to regain your health, achieve ultimate wellness, and live the life you truly deserve. Each episode is a short conversation on a single topic with immediate actionable steps. We cover everything from fat loss and health and wellness to the science of lifestyle design. We started Fasting for Life because of how fasting has transformed our lives, and we hope to share the tools that we have learned along the way. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Fasting for Life podcast. My name is Dr. Scott Water, and I'm here, as always, with my good friend and colleague, Tommy Welling. Good afternoon, sir. Hey, Scott. How are you? Doing great. Um, looking forward to a fun conversation today. We are going to talk fasting. We are going to talk food. We're going to talk um, about metabolic flexibility and define what that is and how it's an emerging category uh, of, of a very important health metric. Mm. Um, and just a lot of cool, uh, ins and outs, and we're going to land the plane with a really good action step for you guys today to continue your fasting and insulin friendly lifestyle journey. So I'm excited about today's conversation. Uh, we've got a little research article. We're going to talk, you know, some food swaps, mm -hmm. uh, and you can access both of those things in the show notes. So if you're new to the show, um, and you just started listening, if you want to hear more about Tommy and I's story and how we ended up here, go back and listen to the first few episodes. You can go to our website, check out our fast start guide. Um, and we'll just kind of define things as we go and you can scroll through the episodes and kind of see how we break up, um, you know, how we look and implement fasting into our day-to-day -day lives. And then also the thousands of people that we've now taken through these seven and 10 day challenges. So Tommy, with that preframe being said, I want to hop into, um, really starting with the end in mind, which is the result of fasting is for, for you and I was, you know, it gave us our life back. It gave us, you know, our, our put, put our health back in the spotlight of where it should be. Yeah. Um, and it really came through as we dove into it and stood on the shoulders of giants and read the research and the books and all the stuff that was out there in the fasting world and started to distill it down mm -hmm. that, you know, a complex problem is really, you know, honed down to a few simple things. And one of those things being, um, your body's ability to burn fat, uh, to either, uh, excuse me, burn energy or store energy. And that kind of leads into the conversation of, okay, well, what does that mean? It's kind of like an abstract thing, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And there's this, um, you know, new emerging type direction in the research world in terms of type two diabetes and heart disease and metabolic health. So I want to start with the definition of uh, metabolic flexibility and why it's important. So, um, Dr. Ben Bickman, who is, uh, you know, this incredible researcher, really brilliant guy, um, had mentioned that up to 88% of people are metabolically inflexible. And he relates that to insulin resistance as one of the main underlying drivers. Yeah. And w when we, we start seeing this term metabolic flexibility, I've, I've been seeing it much more uh, here lately and over the last few years, um, it's it's a term that I don't I don't remember seeing uh, very often um, in, in the years back before that. Um, but it's 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 gaining a lot of traction, and I, I think there's a reason um, behind that is because we're we're understanding that um, you know our actual insulin levels and insulin resistance are such a it, it's such a key player 
and it's at the core of, of so many of the issues that we discuss, um, which is why it's it's a recurring theme for us. But you know, as we start diving into this angle of the research with with metabolic flexibility, we we start to uncover some interesting things that that start to shed some light on why um, so many of us that that eighty eight percent um, are, are likely metabolically inflexible and, and how that actually looks at, chronologically, like in a, in a, in a, a long timeline of how these diseases actually develop over time and what we can do about it to stop the process in its tracks. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. So <clears throat> the, what we're going to define from the study that came out of the prevalence of optimal metabolic health, not necessarily the flexibility part, we're going to talk about that a little bit more and our interpretation of it, but the metabolic, the definition of metabolic health in American adults. And this was from the national health nutrition examination survey from 2009 to 2016. So there was over 8,000 people that were looked and analyzed here. And one of the things that Dr. Bickman mentions is he's the, um, and what the research shows is that, uh, you have a three time greater chance of, um, having major complications with heart disease as a type two diabetic or someone that has blood sugar related issues. And so we're going to be looking at this definition of metabolic health in the relationship to cardiometabolic health. And so this whole relationship between, as you know, diabetics have a higher incidence of, let's say, um, heart disease, right? So right. when we're looking at this, this health metric or this metabolic healthiness of the United States, that's where that 8812 number comes in. So only 12% of people are actually of optimal metabolic health without medication. So the definition here is metabolic health was defined as having optimum levels of waist circumference. And you and I had just uncovered some new research on the um, kind of the outdated, limited kind of BMI chart and how it's a better health metric is the height to waist uh, ratio. Right. So waist circumference here, um, glucose, so fasting blood sugar, and A1C, both of those, those metrics, mm -hmm. blood pressure, triglycerides, and HDL, or your overall cholesterol levels. And this is all, again, in relationship to people not taking medication. So you're metabolically healthy by definition. If you have a healthy waist circumference, less than 102 centimeters for men and 88 centimeters for women, you can also look at the height to weight ratio. Um, if you just Google that, it'll pop up your fasting mm -hmm. glucose, less than a hundred milligrams per deciliter and the A1C less than 5.7 blood pressure, less than 120 over 80 mm -hmm. triglycerides, less than 150 and your HDL greater than 40 slash 50 for men versus women respectively, and not taking any medication. So when you say it like that, and you think about your circle of influence and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles and friends and coworkers and people from church and your fasting buddies, right. how many people do you know that actually fit those guidelines that would be in that 12%? Sure. Yeah. It's, it, it feels that that number feels about right. I would say maybe like one in 10 of the people that I know would, would fit all of those criteria. And some of you might be thinking like, why would I know that? Well, I'm telling you, I work from coffee shops a lot because right. my home office is right at the front of my house you know, next to where the delivery show and the dogs bark and the windows and the entryway and the garage door. And I have two young kids with glass mm -hmm. doors. So I work at coffee shops a lot. If you go to a coffee shop or, you know, a small group, or you go to the golf course, or I played golf for the first time recently, and you, you, you literally hear the conversations 
especially now more than ever after this past year, we just went through the, the most of the conversations are about health and doctor's visits and, Oh, Sally had a back surgery. And, and, mm-hmm. you know, I just went to my doctor and there's this just confounding, like convert major conversation around health. And I hear this day in and day out working in these different coffee shops, like people get together and they usually talk about some health related issue. So it's like, to me, it's clear as day. And plus we work in this space. I've worked in clinical right. setting for almost 10 years, your background with pre-med and et cetera, working in clinical settings as well. So we're around it a lot more, but this was a huge like aha for me when I heard Dr. Bickman mention it. I was like, oh my gosh, like, why are we not talking about this more? And then how does it relate to fasting and insulin? Yeah, because um, I, I never would have, I never would have thought 88%. I mean, um, like I, I know we talk about state of the union and what's happening in the country. Uh, with regards to waistlines and 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 declining health and and all of those things, um, but eighty eight percent is just it's such a staggering number. But uh, you know what what we come to understand is that it's it's a it's a scale, right? It's um you you don't develop diabetes in a day, you don't develop it in a year, you don't develop um you know you don't have you don't have heart disease after just a couple of years right you don't like, need even you don't it, even develop weight loss resistance in that time that also takes time too yeah right i mean these are these are long acting processes that mm-hmm. that when when we start to see that and start to understand that and go okay 88% not not everybody's the same within that that group of metabolic inflexibility right someone who 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 doesn't meet the criteria because their blood pressure is 135 over 90, let's say, is very different from the person who just had a triple bypass. But they're both within that 88% because they're not metabolically flexible. Okay, so if I have the high blood pressure or I have the insulin resistance, but I don't have all of those things, um, or my or my doctor just said, well, your, your blood work's a little off. We'd like to see it. Um, so you know, maybe eat a little bit better or eat a little lower fat. Try to lose, lose a little bit weight. more, right? Lose a little bit of weight. It, you know, one of these things like, okay, well, h- how do I do that? Um, well, I'm, I'm not really sure, but if you do it, then, you know, maybe that will help. So how do we, how do we bridge the gap? How do we stop the the, right. the process? Right. And then, and then reverse it too. Yeah. A couple, one more takeaway from this and then we'll, we'll move on to what you just described, which is the, the long-term, like, how do you know this is happening and why it's important now? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of thought that I just had. So less than one third of normal weight adults were metabolically healthy also by these metrics. And it, and it decreased dramatically in overweight and obese individuals. So there are, it's a sliding scale. Like you had mentioned, there's, there's a scale here. Um, but that was a big takeaway for me, less than one third of normal weight adults. So, um, to your point of the numbers kind of ticking up over the year, you know, if you go in, and you're because here's the problem with the conventional way where we've been looking at these types of issues. And if you're sitting here like, okay, I'm not a diabetic, or I don't, you know, well, maybe it runs in your family, or maybe it's only showed up with you so far as a slight increase in blood pressure, a slight increase in triglycerides, a slight increase in cholesterol levels, um, or the waist is getting a little bit bigger every year, right? Right. right. Um, the problem is conventionally, you know, the system that we have looks at the the end result. It's all focused on glucose. It's all focused on the number. Well, we want to look at the cause. And I heard this analogy. It was, you know, you know, looking at the the tree conventional, uh, the conventional system and the conventional wisdom we have now is to keep trimming the branches, taking a medication to lower that little piece. When that piece keeps growing back, where we really need to do is get to the cause and cut down the dang tree, um, you know, completely and not use 
the medications to treat the symptoms. So every year you go to the doctor and it, the scale ticks up a couple pounds, but your blood sugar is normal. Um, the blood pressure goes up a couple you know, points, but scale is normal. Sure. We'll, we'll keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. We'll look at your ANC. We'll keep an eye on it. Hey, your HDL is kind of gone down. Your LDL is a little high. Now uh, we'll, yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. Okay. If you can't do the lifestyle change, well, then medication is your answer. Okay. Well, the medication is trimming the branches. Sure. So if we're looking at this from a heart disease perspective or a diabetes perspective or the relationship of that cardiometabolic health, whatever that is, the underlying driver is that we're not looking at the cause. So if we insert the cause here, and it's not the only driver, okay, that's not what we're saying, but the main driver in a lot of these situations is insulin and that building over time analogy I just used. So you're going in and all these things are ticking up, but your blood sugar staying the same. Yeah. But if you had insulin tested regularly, you would have an increase in insulin because your body is not as effective when you have insulin resistance. It means your body is not responding to it. So you're producing, producing, producing yeah. to keep your blood sugars the same level. And then eventually the scale tips and that's when you get the diagnosis. But you've already been kind of on this path through the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And that's why that one third of healthy weight individual stat to me was like, never mind the 88% number of being uh, un, uh, un, uh, unmetabolically healthy. Yeah. Um, that's a weird way to say that, but it was just like this. Okay. So yeah. Where do we go from here and what do we do? Yeah. And I mean, what about, what about our standards for, for like what our doctor said when we walked in, uh, the, the whole, let's keep an eye on it. Right. So let's keep an eye on it basically means that eight or nine out of 10 people who go in the next year, it's going to be a little bit worse than it was the previous year. That that's what right. that really means. Let's keep an eye on it and watch it slowly tick up over time is the end of that sentence that doesn't usually get said. But what, what about our standards for, for our peer group and the people that we go to the coffee shop with? And like, if, if I go in and my weight's up a few pounds from last year, okay, no big deal. Let's keep an eye on it. It's probably going to keep going up, but we're not going to do anything about it. Lose a couple pounds. Okay, great. But what about when the blood pressure goes up 10 points? And now I, I, I hit the threshold where my doc wants to put me on a medication. Well, all my friends that I know are on two or three blood pressure medications and their dosages have been increasing over the last few years. But so if, if I'm, if I'm just getting put on like, you know, half a pill, like one milligram, it's, it's five milligrams, but most of my friends are on 25 or whatever. Um, it, it can be easy to just go, well, I'm it's, it's not that bad. And, and maybe I, I'm almost feeling like, like a frog in a boiling pot of water where I'm not really noticing that I should be doing something. I could do something about this to stop it. And I'm, I'm on the track that's going to lead towards all of the other things. It's just going to take a while, but like understanding that seeing the big picture means now I can do something about it. And that's where, why, you know, fasting as our life changing, you know, the Delta in between what we were doing and what we're doing now Mm -hmm. and what we're seeing in the thousands of people that are going through these challenges and sending us messages and listening to the podcast, like you guys are putting this stuff in your life and you're seeing your inflammation go down. You're seeing your blood pressure go down. You're seeing your cholesterol level out. You're seeing your blood work get better. You're losing the weight. Your doctor's like, just keep doing what you're doing. Cause it's no indictment on the doctors. It's that the system that they have, the tools that they have in their tool belt are make some lifestyle changes or here's a medication or here's a specialist that can do some more specialized tests to recommend more specialized things. Right? Mm -hmm. So we want to get outside thinking outside of that box. I mean, I love that framework that you just put there. So fasting, insert fasting, right? So what Mm -hmm. you're doing by 
decreasing the intake or the actual stimulus, right? Because we always focus on glucose. We're going to talk about insulin index, which is an emerging category of research, really hard to find. Um, Marty Kendall has some great um, research out there. There's some other research, uh, uh, like uh, the the OG uh, uh, studies that have been done. If you just Google insulin index, Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, there's not a lot of that out there because everything in the model and the system is geared towards the glucose, right? right? But what we just described in that example is your glucose can be staying normal while all of these other indicators of metabolic health are ticking up and you've got this big bolus of insulin that is yeah. having to do double and triple the work. And then eventually it, the scales tip and the effectiveness and the volume go down. So like when we're looking at this from a, an actionable lifestyle perspective, that's why we talk about the insulin-friendly lifestyle and the fasting lifestyle. Fasting is a very powerful weight loss tool, but I didn't start fasting to get healthy. I knew I needed to lose the weight, but I started fasting because looking at the research and the numbers, I was like, okay, so if I remove the insulin, then things are going to start balancing out. The weight's going to drop. I'm going to go from in the obese category to the overweight category, you know, to the, to the healthy category. Like it's going to bring me down my blood pressure came down, cholesterol leveled out, my triglycerides came down. All of that stuff changed as a downstream measure of removing the source, which is the insulin. And that's why we're going to talk about some insulin, the insulin index and insulin friendly foods and show you the disparity that's out there. Um, But keeping the end in mind, what we want is we want this to be a lifestyle to achieve the quality of life and health which is, in my opinion, the most important thing you have other than time. And health impacts time too, because once you lose your health, you spend all your time, effort, energy, and money trying to get it back. Ask anyone that's been diagnosed with a terminal illness or a chronic condition. That is like their life's focus. So fasting is that powerful intermediary. We remove the insulin, and then you're able to adopt this into a habitual lifestyle over time. Yeah. And the insulin-friendly foods and and that whole perspective is, is so enlightening because you know, one of the most common questions that we get when we go through challenges and, and our emails. <laughs> don't don't say it. Don't right? say it. I don't want to hear right? it. What should I eat when ah! I fast? Right? Like, I mean, it, it's the next obvious question. Okay, fasting so great. Okay, cool, perfect. I know how to set a timer. Right? It's pretty simple. Yeah. But, but then what? What do I eat? <laughs> Are and, you guys keto guys? Are you paleo yeah. guys? Are you carnivore? Right. No, we're not. We're we're real life. How is this going to work for you guys? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me exactly which which recipe that I need to follow. What, what's what, my macro? What's my calorie? Like, what five foods can I eat? And like nothing else, because I, I really need to, you know, limit my choices here, but you know, real life is real life and, and making this fit and making it sustainable and making it work long-term is, is what we're all about. So um, when we start talking about insulin friendly foods, it's, it's a matter of, of, you know, using fasting strategically, but then, you know, optimizing what's actually on your plate and, and focusing on things that are, um, they are supporting your fasting results, not, not backtracking them, not pushing you farther away from the goalpost when you know, you're, you're using fasting to get closer to that. So I love the insulin-friendly foods. There's some good swaps in here too. Um, but there's also some, some like hidden offenders too, especially if, if you came up through 80s and 90s and even early 2000s with a whole lot of the, the low-fat you know, diet uh, information, all, the, all that kind of false you know, dogma that, that a lot of us have, have heard. And, you know, we've, we've done episodes on that in the past. Um, but some of those can be the the worst offenders because, um, they've, they've been stripped away from, from their kind of natural balance. 
that yep. actually provides a, a reasonable insulin response in the body. And when we start stripping away important parts from certain foods, the insulin response goes dramatically up because um, those other like counterbalancing factors are, are gone. One of the things about this list too, this is, this is the first aggregation that we've done in terms of getting these things together in terms of insulin response to food. Because you can go out and find glycemic index and glycemic load and the difference between those two and taking in the, all the different factors that go into that. But you're still looking at the symptom. You're looking at the branch. You're not getting to the tree or the roots. Right. So when we go over this, um, you can you can uh, go to the show notes and get get the reference. This is just a raw data aggregation at this point. This is going to turn into something really cool, but we were kind of sitting on it and we're like, okay, it's time to just let's just give them some stuff like because we talk about this, but it's so hard to be like eat this, not that, and right. it does go deeper than this. It it goes deeper based on so many different metrics, combinations of foods, etc. We'll give you a couple of examples of those, but. It, just adhere to the 80% rule. If you can make 80% of these swaps, you've been at a plateau, you've tried keto, you've dabbled with fasting, you've been fasting and, and you kind of fell off the wet, whatever it is, wherever you are, you're brand new. Putting these in is only going to um, expedite the process for your results, which is then going to make the habit feel good. And then you're going to get the wins and you're going to want to keep doing it, mm -hmm. which is part of the old kind of psychology that goes with the diet mindset, that low fat mindset, the kind of those indoctrination things that we've grown up with over the years. So when you're listening to this, some of it might not make sense. Or you'd be like, wow, wow. Like, should I just say one? I want to say one. So if we're looking at eggs, for instance, this is a big one for me. Um, cause I've done the bodybuilding diet back in the past. I, yeah. I was not, I was not sadistic enough in my opinion to uh, be able to stick to that. Like the last four weeks of a cut, I, mm -hmm. I just became, uh, no, uh, uh, like <laughs> I was turned green, ripped through right. walls. Like I, I was not, I, uh, uh, couldn't do it. So not for me, whoever does it out there, you guys have more power to you. I am a mere mortal, but <laughs> I used to eat an insane amount of egg whites and comparing mm. the whole egg to the egg yolk, to the egg white, um, on the insulin, insulinomic glucogenic, um, insulinogenic glucogenic scale, um, mostly folks focusing on the insulin side here. Um, eggs, is, it was interesting because, um, you know, however many eggs I was eating a week, hard boiled egg whites, all this other stuff. Um, I really should have just been eating the yolk from an insulin perspective, from sure. a blood sugar insulin perspective. I should have been eating the yolk because the yolk on a scale of zero to 100, the yolk is, uh, 19, the whole egg is 25 and the egg white is 72. Wow. Yep. Hey, y'all, I wanted to take a second and tell you just an incredible story about an amazing company that we've come across recently, um, and now they are a sponsor of our show. It's airdoctorpro.com. You can head to the website, use a promo code uh, fasting for life to receive up to $300 off. But most importantly, uh, my little guy, my two-year-old, has not slept consistently through the night uh, since he was born. We have tried everything you can imagine. He is our third child, and we're just like, what is happening? So we have gone to great lengths, time, money, and effort to figure out um, how we can help him sleep. And uh, the reality is uh, we were pretty much just resigned to the fact that this is how it's going to be until we put the Air Doctor Pro in his room. And I am not joking when I tell you the first night that we put it in his room, he slept through the night. The second night, slept through the night. Now we're up to 35 plus days 
that he has slept through the night. He has only woken up two times rather than two, three times a night, two times in the last 35 days and counting. And we are just so incredibly grateful. The reality is uh, we had a feeling that it was something that we were missing. And the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air these days. In some cases, up to a hundred times more. We spend 90% of our time indoors and we take 20,000 breaths a day. So what's the solution? An air purifier, a cut above the rest. I'm not going to lie. We have tried others. We've tried other HEPA filters. We've tried other air filters. We have spent the money and they have not done the results that Air Doctor did in literally the first day that we put it in his room. They filter out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants. That includes pollutants such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. So I don't know what it was that was keeping them up, but it is now gone. So Air Doctor comes with a 30-day breathe easy money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com. Use promo code FASTING for life to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. An exclusive listener um, offer for you as well. You'll receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. That's exclusive to you, the podcast listener, now hearing this in real time. Lock this special offer by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code fasting for life. You guys know that we are very particular with who we partner with. And if it wasn't for this incredible company and this, the incredible results that we've seen, I would not be encouraging you to head to the website and take advantage of the fasting for life promo code. So if you support our sponsors, you are ultimately supporting us. We are grateful for you listening in and now back to today's episode. So you're doing it for your health and eating the egg white because that's what you were told to do to reduce your cholesterol, but you're furthering the problem because just eating the egg white is what? Three and a half times, just over three times more insulino, insulinogenic, I'm going to struggle with that word, um, mm -hmm. than the egg. So that's just one that was like a smack in the face to me. That is a smack in the face. I can't remember how many omelets I ordered that were that were egg whites, right? Because I was yeah. I was trying to lean it out. I was trying to drop the calories. Okay, I'm I'm counting my calories. How can I fit fit it in? I'm hungry. I'm gonna have a heavy workout. Okay, well let me get like four or five egg whites because I'm not gonna have the the yolks and that will be that will be better and I'll still be like full off of it without having you know all those right. calories to track. Now so. there's a nutrient density and satiety like feeling full conversation with this. So just a couple of frameworks here because some people might listen to this be like, wait, hold on, nope, nope, don't agree with that. Red light, you know, red alert, red alert. So hmm. we're looking at this from keeping the main thing the main thing, which is the lowest insulin response right? But there is a give and take between the nutrient density of the food, right? Like a processed burger versus, you know, a grass fed burger or mm. a, you know, a farm fresh salad versus the prepackaged salad mix. Like there's nutrient densities here um, that need to be taken into account. There's a give and take. So it's not going to be like, don't eat fruit, but eat this fruit instead. Don't like, yeah. you know, um, make sure that you're getting green leafy vegetables. Cause like, that's a win for health, right? So we don't want to be, we're not saying being so dogmatic that you only are going to eat, you know, olives and cream cheese, full fat cream cheese moving forward because they're the, le they're the least insulinogenic. That's right. not what we're saying. Okay. Just want to say that now on the forefront. So we don't get messages being like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, going along the, the same, the same line of thinking, which is, um, 
which foods are going to further our fasting results the best. So looking at uh, like the next one, our, our list after eggs was, was cheese, like non-fat mozzarella. The insulin response is incredibly high. 95 Whereas, <laughs> out of a hundred. Sorry. It's crazy. No, it, it, it's crazy. And when we, when we put full fat cheese in there, um, you know, brie, full fat mozzarella, like, like real cheese, the, the way it, the way it comes, not the, I'm trying to fit my calories into, into a little box here, or I'm low fat, non-fat fat, skin. Right? Yeah. Because I mean, how many of my friends who, who came back from the doctor and, and they said, Oh, well, my triglycerides are off or my LDLs off. And they, they told me to eat less fat, right? They told me to eat leaner cheeses, low fat milks, uh, right. all that kind of stuff. But all those things are, are having a dramatic insulin response, like heavy whipping cream versus skim milk is, is like a ridiculous difference. It's, it's so much worse. It's almost double. Milk. Right. The, the skim milk is having such a worse effect on my on insulin. Your insulin. My insulin. Yeah. It's crazy. My insulin resistance. It's, it, it's nuts. And I, I can't tell you how many years I was, I was in that camp and I wasn't a big, like low fat diehard, you know, diet person, but I was trying to get my blood work under control and I was trying to drop the weight and it wasn't, it, it was, you know, 20, 30 pounds at that point, but it just kept slowly getting worse. But these are the kinds of food swaps I was making the opposite of, of what I should have been doing. Yeah. So some of the least insulinogenic foods like olives, cream, duck, uh, pork, uh, sausage, bacon, pepperoni, mackerel, they're all on there. Eat the egg instead of the egg white. Eat the whole egg. Your your blood work will thank you in 30 to 60 or 90 days if you're combining it with the fasting and keeping the main thing, the main thing, reducing the insulin through time-restricted eating, which is fasting and only eating during your window, and then swapping out the non-fat, low-fat skim milk cheeses for the real cheeses like cheddar, gruyere, blue, brie, a whole, you know, a full-fat cream cheese. Right. You know, sw switching from the skim milks to the to the heavy creams of the foot, and we're not. This is not a keto endorsement. I'll say it one more time. <laughs> it's what is fits your life long term. You know, keeping the main thing, which is keeping the insulin response as low as possible. If you're trying to lose weight and reverse disease, in terms of what we described earlier, which is that metabolic health, and we know where that leads over time. Um, some other things, Tommy, the yogurt one was a big one that stood out for me. Yogurts and berries. So if we look at bananas, apples, and grapes. You know, those are all 80 plus um, oranges just, you know, on, on that end range as well. And yeah, then if we hot. flip to the other right. side, if you're looking for a fruit, stick to the berries. Uh, green apples is lower, but really stick to the berries as a swap rather than going to those higher uh, insulinogenic, meaning insulin producing foods. And the yogurt was, again, like I grew up on on the higher insulin producing ones. Right. Yeah, so did I. And um Yogurt, yogurt is one of the highest on the list, like the, like the sweetened processed yogurts. So, yeah. you know, swapping that out for one of the unsweetened or one of the, the kind of whole more pure yogurts, um, the Greek yogurts, uh, you can, you can take one of the ones that are, that are simpler and add a few things to it. You could add in some nuts, some like, uh, cocoa powder or like cocoa nibs or, or coconut flakes, um, toss in some nuts, maybe even some almond butter or some peanut butter in there. Yep. And you can make like a really, really good parfait that's really uh, yep. satisfying that's going to have a much, much lower uh, insulin effect. And another one that was interesting to me was um, potatoes and beans were two of the the highest of, of like our, our staple foods. And um, they're super, super high. And pasta was actually much, much lower on the insulin producing uh, list, which 
we, we don't typically hear, you know, choose pasta over potatoes and beans. Especially but, if you're in the low carb world. Right. But, but if you're looking to lower your insulin response, do that, but just be easy with the pasta, like pasta is so easy to eat a whole lot of it. And then right. you're, you're going to be taking away um, that effect. So a smaller portion of pasta versus a bunch of potatoes or, or yeah. a, a helping of beans is going to help um, overall. And, and one other one that, that stuck out was just in the meat category, um, like I remember sticking to chicken breast and, and lean cuts, right? Because again, I was trying to cut the, the calories out. But when we, when we just do the protein of, of the meats, we don't get the beneficial effect of, of some of the, the surrounding fat or the marbling fat that helps to blunt that insulin response as well. So a, a more natural cut of beef um, that includes some of the fat is going to have a less of an insulin response than just the pure protein, the, the super, super lean cuts as well. Yeah. The meats are all pretty much safe, you know, uh, for the most part, but that's a distinguishing factor there. You know, in another one I would add, it'd be more of like a grass fed organic beef has yeah. a healthier ratio of the fatty acids that you need mm -hmm. from a health perspective. The fishes was kind of crazy. Like for me, scallops and shrimp were like 65 and 80. And then, so high, you know, so bad. I mean, yeah. Like and yeah, worse than other fish, right? Right. Yeah. 80. Uh, so the hundred is the highest, right? So scallops are 80, <laughs> um, haddock, 66, shrimp, 65. Then we go on the other end, you've got your tunas, your salmons, your anchovies, your swordfishes, your trouts are all 50 and under. Mm. So pretty much all the nuts, just to make sure we're landing the plane here, all the nuts are pretty much, um, safe. Macadamia nuts were only 5% insulin spike. Uh, almond flowers for uh, almonds, com almond flowers, <laughs> almonds uh, for comparison, 25%. So all still good. Mm -hmm. um, I, I liked what you said about the yogurt, like getting away from the skim non-fat stuff and going to the whole milk with like all the additional fun stuff that you just mentioned. That was like, right. man, that sounds incredible. Some berries, right. some cocoa flakes, yeah, uh, uh, some coconut flakes, man, just that sounds incredible. Um, and it goes against common your, your, what your brain tells you. Another thing about like the vegetable category you know, green leafy vegetables are great. Um, but you know, spinach is at 50, which most people wouldn't think, um, but it's still really good for you. So eat it. <laughs> We're yeah. not saying don't eat spinach cause it's at a 50. Uh, but then onions was really up there as well up in the eighties. So if you're using a lot of onions, maybe swapping that out, um, you know, maybe putting in, I don't know, I'm not a big chef guy, but maybe swapping those out and putting something else into those, those meals that you're creating, maybe a shallot or, you know, a garlic or, or some other type of seasoning, but it was just yeah. interesting to see that some of these that really stood out, um, overall. And Tommy, I think we had a couple of meal ideas here for like just combinations of food. Cause that's like the second level of this. And we won't go into too much detail cause we haven't built it out yet, but like a bacon, eggs, avocado, and spinach, like breakfast or, mm -hmm. or dinner. If you want to do, you know, we do breakfast for dinner on Wednesday nights is only an insulin load of 19, um, steak, broccoli, spinach, 26, Broccoli, bacon, cream, and mozzarella, full fat, 20. Um, bacon, eggs, avocado, sauerkraut, 26. Fathead pizza dough. If you've never made that, go get it. Use a full fat cheese uh, with anchovies and pesto is a 17. So okay. just incredible to see like, wow, you can actually start pulling things off this list now and creating meals that you know are going to be just amplifying all of the hard work you're doing, trying to make, trying to put these habits in place and make fasting and the insulin friendly lifestyle, you know, the thing that's going to get you to the promised land and get you those long-term results. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's, there's two pieces of the puzzle. There's, there's the fasting and then there's the breaking the fast, right? And yep. so we can, yep. we can optimize both of those things. And that's why yep. 
we're going to encourage you to download both yep. uh, resources. So we have a we have a resource available for download for the insulin friendly foods and the insulin food list. So go to um, check out the show notes and um, and you'll be able to download that and go to thefastingforlife.com to download the fast start guide so that you can put six simple steps into your day-to-day life to actually start optimizing your meal timing as well. Because um, as, as good of a, um, a plan you can have for breakfast, one of the best plans might be to, to skip that breakfast or to push right. it off by a couple of hours and then enjoy those more insulin-friendly breakfast foods, maybe at lunchtime, or maybe you wait, you wait until dinner uh, that night and get the benefit um, on both sides of the equation. Cool. Love it. Awesome. I think uh, that is a perfect time for a dismount. So thank you to all of the listeners. We're coming up on a pretty big milestone. So we're going to share that with you here uh, probably in the next couple of weeks. Um, But love and appreciate you guys. Gratitude to all of you that are on this journey with us. Tommy, thank you. As always, sir, great conversation. um, And we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye. So you've heard today's episode and you may be wondering, where do I start? Head on over to thefastingforlife.com and sign up for our newsletter where you'll receive fasting tips and strategies to maximize results and fit fasting into your day-to-day life. While you're there, download your free Fast Start Guide to get started today. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to leave us a five-star review, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Fasting for Life. Fasting for Life.